When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island X. This week, you may have noticed a lack of both compact dicks and the regular Desert Island dicks, and that's because things in our personal lives have just got insanely busy of late, what with starting a new business, having a tiny baby, and both of us trying to sell our flats. So what has happened is that we've not managed to do them. So as Shakespeare once said, if you're too busy to record your regular podcasts, then do a clip show, and we've done just that. It's Top of the Cox Volume 2 and we've stuck together a few bits from some episodes we've really enjoyed over the last couple of years for you to enjoy. I'm not going to pretend it's the same as having a brand new episode but it's entertaining nonetheless so hopefully you can still enjoy it and we'll be back to our normal schedule really soon. We've got some really good guests lined up, we just haven't recorded them yet. Also, to make it up to you, we're putting out not just one episode but two so there's another one that will have come out today as well. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything we do at DicksPod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to let us know who and what you'd hate to be stuck with on a desert island, you can tell us at dickspod.com contact and you could be included in Compact Dicks. OK, on with the show. Here's Top of the Cox, Volume 2. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is singer, songwriter, front woman of Skunk and Nancy, radio host and DJ Skin. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to have a bona fide rock star on, on the podcast, finally. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate the title. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming on today. How did you sort of find the process of uh, whittling down your choices for the island? I mean, do you find it easy to be negative or is it kind of more of a challenge? Um, yeah, it's really easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a rocker, you know, all my songs are dark and about horrendous people. Um, but actually, it, it it was really easy. But the thing that was more difficult was people. Because right now, don't you feel like in the world, there's just so much choice? Yeah. Um, I mean, with food and with other things. I mean, I've just got my, my eternal hatreds of things that should never be on the planet. But when it comes to people, God, that list is long. And it got longer this year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Lockdown seems to have bred as like a, a culture of coronavirus wankers, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Know, as, a, as a coronavirus got bigger, so did the tosser. Or the level of tosseration, you could say. <laughs> 
Yeah, because I think it's like as well as like the big heavy hitters in in you know the pandemic. You know, you're spending a lot of time at home, so there's little niggly things that can just sort of like grate at you as well. Exactly. I mean, I think that there's a whole group for me in the people section. You know, conspiracy toss heads. Mm. You know, I I think that that's just a whole group. But you made me whittle it down. So um, yeah, should I give you? Yeah, my, let's get my straight into what, it. Yeah. What do you want to go for? Well. Um, I think one of the people, one of the kinds of people that annoy me most, the most are kind of like self-help gurus. Mm. Um, and I would say Tony Robbins is probably my number one yeah. um, all-time hated person in terms of that. Because, you know, I mean, I actually, I, actually, I, I, I read a book. I had, a, I had an ex that was really into him. And so she bought me um, the book and I was like, okay, let me read this. You know, I'm open-minded. And I... Um, read like two chapters and I thought this is just is it just me or is this just common sense written down by a five-year-old you know it's just it seems that they just take the most obvious most commonsensical most logical functional thing to say whittle them down by process of sieve the sieves get smaller and smaller and smaller until they can find four or five words that are supposed to like sum up everything that they're supposed to do so here you go i've got i, I actually researched this okay. and just picked out my favorites right my favorites your past does not equal your future mm-hmm. i mean what the cunting fuck is that can i smell <laughs> yeah, this of course, yeah. can, i can what what is that your past does not equal your future well no it isn't is it because every year you're a year closer to death <laughs> So I don't think anyone past is gonna. You know, I, it's just this kind of like you're supposed to read that and go, oh, mm. like this worldwide thing. Here's another one. You, if you can't, you must. If you must, you can. Uh. <laughs> I mean, this is nursery rhyme stuff. Yeah, yeah. For you know, and you're supposed to break that down and think that, you know, you can't. You need someone. I mean, this is a guy that has tears of. Um, like he has the tears of finances that you need to have to be able to go to do his stuff and see his stuff. So, for instance, to go and see him at, um, at, uh, uh, at one of his big stadium things, the closer you get is the more money you get, like a normal concert. Mm. But, you know, you can pay £4,000 for like a, you know, a couple of front foot row seats for mm. someone to say to you, um, you don't have a reason to feel good. You're alive. You can feel good for no reason at all. Why live an ordinary life when you can live an extraordinary one? Oh, I mean, yeah. and then if you if you actually get to um, have a one-to-one meeting with him, that's going to cost you a million dollars. Man, yeah. For an hour. It's crazy, hour. isn't it? Because I think with all these people that they're standing there sort of talking about their secrets to why they're successful. And it's like, no one points out the fact that everyone's paying thousands of dollars to be it's there. It's a pyramid scheme. Yeah. It's a pyramid scheme. And the closer you, you create this mystique about all the stuff that you know, and then it's a pyramid scheme to get closer. Mm. I mean, it's just like, a, it's been happening for thousands of years, you know, just behaving like gods and pharaohs. Um, and just, I find that telling you just really basic of your stuff, mm. you know, that, if you actually sat down and thought about your life and worked it out, especially in lockdown, I think people just had time to do that themselves. So I just, I just think it's a con. Yeah. So I'd say he's probably um, right up there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was going to say a lot of those things that you say, like, you know, when he's sort of on stage delivering it with lots of power and presence and everything, right? 
you know, it's one thing, but when you just sort of say them out loud and read them off a piece of paper, it's like you can just equally imagine them just kind of on one of those sort of cheesy posters of like a beach. Well, that's what they are. Yeah. I mean, that's that's his marketing. You know, that's mm. what they are. That's what. I, and there's no difference to me between a politician does that, um, Tony Robbins does that, a lot of gurus like that. So do um, you know Indian gurus and other people like that who at least have some like years, centuries old, you know, mm. wisdom behind it. Um, and um, priests and, and uh, evangelical people, they do the same kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and he also says the thing, I'm not Jesus, and you're treating me like I'm Jesus, not Jesus. I'm like, well, stop behaving like one. Yeah. And then, you, you know, stop behaving like you are the answer to everybody's problems in the world. Yeah. Because yeah. actually, you know, especially this whole idea that everything you do in your life, it's, yes, it's all down to you, and you can change a lot of your life. And some people are, be a- are able to be in the worst situations and can dig themselves out of it. Mm. But there's also a lot of luck involved in that. You know, when you hear those, like, success stories of someone that was born in a slum in Calcutta, you know, having this £15 billion pound business, mm. that's, that, there's always a lot of luck in there. Right time, right place, right idea, right people, you know. It's kind of like the evolution of man, mm. <laughs> you know. The reason why we're here is because... We basically killed everybody else, and there was the dinosaurs died, and blah, blah, blah. It, it, you know that's why the mm. planet's here. Everything went along at perfect amount of time, um, and I think that that's not something that everybody can can achieve to. That's why we have charities, you know, to yeah. look after everybody. That's why we have national health system, all that. So I um I just think this idea that you know where everybody's always responsible for everything that they're in. Yes, there is a certain way that you can get out of it. But you know, there's million myriad of people who've tried their whole life to do stuff and get tried, and they just haven't had that luck or haven't been in the right place, right place, right time. Yeah. It's very easy to, to to it's very easy to blame the individual and not the system that the individuals are in. Yeah, and also it's kind of you know there's probably people who follow him and have spent so much money like trying to get to this level where they're as successful as him, and then when it goes wrong, they're just like, oh, you know, like what is it about me it that me, yeah. yeah I can <laughs> well, maybe I didn't recite my mantras enough every day or like you know maybe I didn't like, yeah, exactly. visualize because the goal what... or you know something. <laughs> exactly. It's also your fault, yeah. you know. If you you can follow it to the hill, but if it's something about you, you know, oh, you know, it's actually you could say, well, you could say it just doesn't work for everybody. I mean, the ex who gave me the book that followed this actually turned out to be a really fucking nasty cow. <laughs> out of all of my exes, and I'm friends with most of them, this is the only one that I regret every second I was in that relationship with. You know, yeah. um, you know, she, 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 it was there's a myriad of things that were going on behind my back mm. that I didn't know about, that I was not sure about. And this is the one telling me that I should be listening to. It's like you're searching for your thing, mm. but you're, the reason that you're in a situation is because you're a shitty person. Yeah. And just, just change that about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need to have a Tommy Robbins book to do that. And then, you know, things might go all right for you, you know? So um, that's my, that's my I, I guess, my number one. Especially in a lockdown, you know, you hear all these cliches and it's like, you know what? It's really hard for everybody right now. Mm. And the last thing they need to hear is it's their fault. Yeah, exactly. And just can you imagine being stuck on an island with the guy as well, with that sort of mentality <laughs> as well? You're like, oh, God. Oh, my like, God. I couldn't catch a fish today. It's like, oh, here's why, you know. I think you need to really drill down into, like, you know, your approach. What? You know? like, yeah. What is it about that fish that you didn't want to catch it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I loved it. When I saw the title, I cracked. So I thought, oh, my God, this is the show for me. <laughs>
And here to share their Desert Island dicks with us today is writer and journalist Stuart Heritage. Hello. Hello. Stuart, who's going to be your first choice for the island? My first choice, I think this is a very solid choice. Um, it's Alan Sugar. Nice. Yes. Okay. <laughs> is he Lord now or, yeah. or, or, or Sir? What's Lord, Lord Sugar? I refuse, I refuse to call him Lord Sugar. Yeah. Lord Sugar is a status. I don't think anyone, if you are a Lord, a, t- a very telling thing that you can do is just say, no, you can call me Alan, that's fine. If you go around making people call you Lord, like you're fucking Darth Vader or something, (laughs) don't... It's horrible. He's even changed his Twitter name to it. It's Lord underscore Sugar, for fuck's sake. Lords shouldn't be on Twitter. It should be a level playing field. If you're on Twitter, you don't get to use Lord. No, you should be... You should literally have a... Live in a castle... Everything by candlelight, move around <laughs> on a horse. If you're gonna if you want to call yourself a lord, you have to like be an old school feudal lord. Yeah, I agree. I think and also something about his surname being Sugar is Lord Sugar sounds a bit like it's almost like the chief sugar daddy <laughs> or something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's like he's he's the lord of uh, of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, like like Lord Business in the Lego movies. He's Lord of all like everything that's bad for your teeth. He's the Lord of that. Yeah, Lord Sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and what is it in particular then uh, that really grinds your gears about? Well, I mean, uh, primarily it's his participation in The Apprentice, which is the the very very worst television program of all time. Yeah, I hate The Apprentice. I hate The Apprentice so much. I've written. It was pointed out to me. Uh, uh, recently that uh, for the last five or six years I've write exactly the same piece which is why is The Apprentice still on it should just die <laughs> and it's exactly the same. Oh, pretty much I'm sure lots of it's word for word I just hate The hate the Apprentice um, and you know it's uh, he's by far not the worst person it has produced because of Donald Trump and Katie Hopkins and people like that but he is nevertheless just to just to continue being a part of a program that promotes the, the worst excesses of sort of humanity it drove it drove me mad yeah because there's very much that sort of underlying thing of to to be good at business you have to have no morals and be a real dick like that's yeah that's what it is in business you've got to do this or you know my way or the highway there's no there's never a sense of like negotiation or compromise which i'm sure is quite a big part of business at times yeah and just being not, I'm sure if you're that much of a dick the whole time, there's just people around you won't want to work with you. Yeah. But he's, the, I remember watching one early on uh, and it was someone had messed up and they were in the boardroom and it was basically, it was the guy who was chucked out was who whoever like shat on the other person the least. Yeah. And it was, it was like, you can't, you can't ever, ever, ever admit to a fault that you've done. Because that's that's suicide on the apprentice. You can't say no. All right, hands up. I that was a mistake. But you know we've learned from it. And yeah, as soon as you say I accidentally charged three pence more for this whatever upcycled bullshit they've made me sell at Shoreditch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was def- and none of none of the. Sorry, I'm interrupting. <laughs> no, no, go for it. None of the tasks are, 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 have anything to do with anything. Like you can't go and sell sweets at a market. And then become, you know, Steve Jobs or something. And you, uh, towards the end of a day, if you if you haven't sold enough sweets, you don't go around running to all the shops near you trying to sell as, as many sweets as you can for five p just to get them off your. That isn't how <laughs> business works. And as soon as you start doing the maths on the Apprentice, like you've got a team of at the beginning eight people, 
all I'm gonna stick with this selling sweets thing. <laughs> selling sweets at a market to just dumb tourists. And they might say, you know, you've made three hundred pounds over the course of a day, split that between eight people. That's incredibly shit. That's just such shit business. I did worse than that. I did work experience. I I was more successful than that when I was at school. I get the feeling, though, that all these kind of trivial things are just so that Alan gets a chance to sort of say, well, that's how I started, selling sweets on the street because I'm Lord Sweetie Pie. And, you know, just you (laughs) have... a wheelbarrow full of tat that I just sold to idiots. Yeah, you just have to, like, shoehorn in something demeaning for the contestants to do. So Alan can give a point about how he's a self-made man. Yeah, and the beginning, at the beginning of The Apprentice, I hate as well when like they his assistant phones him off at four o'clock in the morning and they've said like you've got four seconds to get to the Outer Hebrides and they get there and they say he like he turns up on a video he yeah. doesn't even get there himself and he says oh today's challenge you're in the Outer Hebrides which is near some sea today you've got to sell a cat because that begins with the letter C it doesn't make just. <laughs> It's like three, two, one. Do you remember three, two, one? Yeah. It was just a very cryptic game. It reminds me of that. So I don't like that. And also, like you said, his Twitter feed has just uh, destroyed any sort of sort of credibility that he's got as a human being. He's just an angry man who tells, like, he's stupid actually. <laughs> there was, and he tweeted like three days ago. Someone. Uh, did a, a video of lions in the street and, and said, look, they're put, in this city, they're putting lions in the street to keep people indoors. And he tweeted, is this a wind-up? <laughs> like, like, oh, don't, how, do, how did you sell things, you hedgehog-looking idiot? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things like Donald Trump as well, isn't it? Like, you don't seem that bright and you haven't made that much money versus you know, how much you potentially could have. But maybe it's just the personality around you is such that people are, are willing to go along with you for a while or something like that. Like, you've been allowed to become this awful person just because you're a name now and that's it. Yeah, yeah. There was a great story um, I read before the very first series of The Apprentice, which was that he, on his wedding anniversary, he wrote a card to his wife and on it he'd write, like, best regards, Alan Sugar. <laughs> I can absolutely believe that. Yeah. It's a mark of his closeness that he actually dropped the Lord for his wife, but still <laughs> regards Alan Sugar. <laughs> Only five people get to call me Alan these days. One of them's Piers Morgan. <laughs> yeah, he does seem awful. And and to be on a desert island with him as well, I mean, he wouldn't get stuck in, but he'd just, he'd just rate all your efforts throughout the day. He'd just see it as a new level of The Apprentice. He'd only be able to see you in terms of The Apprentice game show. Yeah, which I'm fine with because, I mean, I could, I could whatever, collect coconuts and sell them to crabs. I don't really... Is that is that how it would work? You're, you're the owner of this island, is that...? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got to make it your own, really. I mean, uh, I just think, you know, you're all scrabbling to survive and he's just going to be sitting there. You know, he's too old to actually contribute, but that's not going to stop him from judging your efforts, is it, I think? <laughs> He'd be sitting in his... I, I believe he wears a lot of lycra in his downtime. I think he's a keen cyclist <laughs> who just lives in Florida and wears lycra. Yeah, yeah. I always remember at the beginning of The Apprentice, he used to say something like, 
I don't want any steady eddies or cautious carols or something like that. Like cautious, cautious carols isn't isn't a phrase. You know, you can't just like alliterate and hope that like everyone you you fool the British public into thinking that's a real sentence. Yeah, I used to really enjoy the beginning. There was that. I think it might be the first one. Where it's like I don't like bullshitters. I don't like. And he just listed like traits of of himself. I think. Yeah. I think that if he was confronted with himself in the boardroom of The Apprentice, his brain would explode and he'd die. Yeah, he wouldn't do well, would he? He's yeah, he's very much. He has to be the only one of him in a room, and then it's okay. But I mean, yeah, it's just sort of awful alpha male kind of syndrome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's what it is. It's it's just it's that whole kind of uh, kill or be killed ethos. Yeah, which is. Like, no, everyone could just be nice and have a bit of everything and be very happy. You don't have to sell... Oh, and do you remember that thing that he he fucking sold on the advent of emails? The emailer phone. Oh, that sort of Amstrad... Was it Amstrad or a thing with a screen on it? The phone with a screen? It was, yeah, it was, it was a tiny, tiny screen, smaller than a phone. And it had a little tiny keyboard. And his, his whole business model was you can send emails for 20p a go. <laughs> <laughs> he really yeah I, I I think that's one of the stupidest mach- machines ever made but that's that's the thing about Alan Sugar when you list his successes it's things like Amstrad which doesn't exist anymore as far as I know yeah. something to do with Spurs Football Club uh, like I don't know how he got so rich I bet he wasn't that rich but he was the only person who agreed to uh, to go on The Apprentice yeah and now he's made a lot more money from just being on The Apprentice. Yeah, there is no way on earth he was the first person on the list. I bet they tried Branson first. Yeah. I bet they tried lots and lots of people and they in the end they were like, oh, the Spurs guy. Yeah, he's a nasty curmudgeonly arsehole. He'll be good on this. Won't he? <laughs> <laughs> and then because he's associated yeah. with business, then the government gives him a peerage. Yeah, that's when it all went wrong, I think. Well, I think, was he Alan Sugar at the mm. beginning? And then he got knighted. And he made everyone call him Sir Alan, and now it's Lord Sugar, possibly. I wonder what's next. What's higher than Lord? A king? I don't know. Can they make King Sugar? Is that how we're going <laughs> to... King gonna... Alan. It will all locked down forever, and, and uh, monarchy and reality TV just merges until we just sit in our houses forever, bowing down to King Alan. <laughs> the one, one of the good things about the lockdown is they cannot make The Apprentice. Unless they're like, he's doing like we are now on Zoom, and he's like, go on. Make an origami thing out of some toilet roll. Do it, <laughs> and then he, yeah. There's no, there's no way of doing it. Yeah, it becomes very craft based. That's nice. I think the BBC thinks that The Apprentice is a liability as well because um, they keep sort of shoving it around the schedules. Anytime there's an election, they can't because he's a peer. Uh, That's I see. technically that counts as sort of political. Um, uh, um, I can't think of the word, <laughs> but it's, it, it's it's there's a sort of a slight bias to it, right? So they can't. They have to shove it around and. I don't, and I don't think anyone's excited about it, and no one would miss him if he was gone. <laughs> and here to share their Desert Island dicks with us today is comedian and podcaster Sophie Hagen. Hello, Hi. thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming in. Now, fortunately for you, Sophie, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work. But just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? So, yes, uh, the movie yeah, would the- probably be... Uh, I feel pretty. I feel pretty by Amy Schumer. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's by yes. Amy Schumer. Okay. If she was just in it, I don't remember if she wrote it's it. It's recent, she... right? Fairly recent. So I've yeah. not seen it, but I know the film. Please tell us about <clears throat> it. So, uh, okay, 
this movie has potentially ruined my life and my career. Ruben. That is why. Okay. So there's several layers to it. There's the fact that it's bad. Mm. There's also the fact that me watching it would feel like a slap in the face every time because it would remind me of how much it may have fucked up my career. And then there's also the fact that everyone who then would later, when I was uh, uh, saved from the island, unless I'd killed myself, because it sounds like the worst thing ever, <laughs> or Ricky Gervais had killed me, uh, then when everyone found out that I'd had to watch that on the loop, they would take great pleasure in it because they know my relationship with it. So okay. I saw the trailer for I Feel Pretty. The concept is <clears throat> Amy Schumer, mm-hmm. who we all know is um, just like, oh, the, the worst, you know? Mm-hmm. you know, Oh, no, she's mm-hmm. so ugly and fat. What? No, she's well, not. No, she's like yeah. five kilos for being perfect, right? She's, you know, the way you're, you're meant to look, look as a woman is like white, thin, blonde, beautiful, tall. Like she's all of these things mm. apart from maybe there's five kilos extra on her, okay. right? But the, in the movie, it's like she is the worst monster in the world. How would anyone ever? That's the whole how it's Is that sold. the premise of the film? Yeah, it's like, ah. Okay. You, like she goes into, uh, there's a point when she tries to wear like a skirt and everyone's like, oh my God, you're mm. the monster. Like it's not. Anyways, um, so then she falls and hits her head and then like loses her mind and thinks she's beautiful. Isn't that, can you imagine thinking you're beautiful if you're Amy Schumer, right? That's the whole point. <laughs> Crazy, So then right? she goes around acting like she's beautiful, and everyone's like, this is so weird. She thinks she's beautiful. <sighs> what an awful concept. <sighs> yeah, and then, so, then it's about how, and like she has this really great job, I don't remember what it is, but like a really great job, but then she can become a receptionist, which is like, uh, like below her, what she makes now, like in grade, in um, paychecks, like mm. she gets paid, she'll get paid less, have less responsibility, less, like, I fine, if your dream is to be a receptionist, fine. Fine, yeah. It's just because she has to be beautiful to be the receptionist. Okay. <clears throat> so then she becomes a receptionist because she's now got the confidence of someone who's beautiful. And then, anyway, blah, 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 blah. At one point she then hits her head again and then she realizes she's ugly. And then... She does this really big speech. It's, it's something it's about makeup. There's a whole thing about makeup. Like right, you wear, okay, okay. You just wear makeup. And then there's a whole thing about... Also, like, as fat people, you often get told, you know, oh, just if you just, like, believe in yourself, blah, blah, blah. But that's not how things work. Like, people are always going to hate fat people. Um, so I just tweeted, like, a, a little thread. I was just like, oh, God, Amy Schumer is so close to looking perfect. Like, it shouldn't be, like... The only way she could possibly think she was beautiful is if she hit her head. Yeah. I and mean, it's like a sci-fi film. Imagine if a, a almost perfect person thought they were perfect. How laughable is that? Also, she has a fat friend in the film who's not even mentioned, who's just like there. Right. It's, okay. Who's uh, Aidy Bryant, who's incredible. So there's this, this, this thread where I was just like, oh, this is, looks shit. Like this is, mm. oh, I hate the way people are, you know, see you're the world and we women, blah, blah, blah. Go to sleep. Wake up. This has been placed on Twitter Moments. No. Which is like everyone in the world looks at this. It, was, yes. it has been seen six million times. Oh, my God. Uh, I had so many comments from like people just, you know, telling me to kill myself and all that. But that's quite normal. And then, um, uh, but, the, the, but the thing is, the headline was people furious over Amy Schumer's new film. But it was only my tweets. And then that was picked up by Huffington Post and Bustle and uh, Refinery29 and uh, CNN and uh, New York <laughs> Times and like everyone. everyone. And all the headlines were, everyone hates Amy Schumer's new film. The, they only had my tweets. No one else had so tweeted about this. So where are they getting everyone hates I Amy know, Schumer's new film? I know. So, 
Do you know Bill Bill Maher? Bill Maher? I could never remember his uh, name. Bill Maher, Bill Maher. Oh, he's this American talk show host who's oh yeah yeah he used to be like quite liberal but now I think he's quite right wing or maybe you thought he was okay yeah he says he so I there was this article that said I'd been at this point I still had Google alerts mm. <laughs> never again mm. and it said something like Bill Maher Sophie Hagen and I was like right what is this and it said something about again Amy Schumer's new film and I kind of read it half sent it to my manager and I was like this is fun he wrote wow and I was like well it's not like he like mentioned me on the show and he went no no he did. So I watched the clip and Bill Maher has like my face, my Twitter profile, oh. like American TV going, she's an idiot. She's oh, an idiot. No. And like just trashing me and my opinions about this film. He's like, something like, Amy Schumer's not perfect. Why do you say she's not perfect? Like something. And I was like, holy shit, what's happening? Oh, no. What is happening? Oh, no. To the extent where when I met, I met an American comedian in, in Australia. Mm. Uh, I was just like, oh, hi, my name is Sophie. And she went, oh, are you the person who ruined Amy Schumer's film? <gasps> and her theory, and I don't know how true it is, was that it basically flopped this film and that was based because on of my tweets. I don't, that sounds I too mad. I didn't know that this was going to escalate to this. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds too mad to be true, so I don't, I don't want to take credit. Also, it's not, you know, it's never personal against Amy Schumer. Like, mm. she's just doing what she needs to do. And I also get that she doesn't look perfect in Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. Sure. blah. It's more like a general comment about how mm. the world works in a way that this is a realistic film for people to mm. like, because that doesn't make sense. But fuck me. Th- that root, like, <laughs> my, my manager met Amy Schumer and she said, oh, who else do you represent? He was like, ah, just some people. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, I don't know how, like, Amy Schumer retweeted um, Bill Maher after he did that bit and was like, thank you so much for the support. So, like, she has seats, she knows. She knows. She knows, obviously she knows and, that I did this. Uh, are you planning on going to America? And <laughs> riding that way? Yeah. yeah. Let wow. me fuck up some more careers. Yeah. Most of the comments I got, especially, and Amy Schumer, her big thing was also to say, well, you haven't seen the film yet. Wait till you see the film. So I had to watch okay. the film, okay. and I watched sure. it, and I was right. I was right about yeah. everything. It was shit. Yeah. Um, so I think having to sit on an island... Watching that on a loop. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> Especially if I then ended up liking it. I was like, oh, you know what? After the 50th watch, that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know if you'll be convinced. It's, the premise sounds awful. It's so and How it's closed-minded so of Hollywood to think like, uh, oh, you know, this is this is okay. It's so bad. But a lot of people have, you know, told me that they really liked it and they thought I was wrong. Oh, like people I actually respect. And I was like, okay, but... So I'm you're not, entitled to your opinion, no, but you're wrong. you're wrong. No, I'm not wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty right. As if it escalated to that. It, it was insane. What did it feel like to be in the middle of all of that? Well, I've been that for a few times. I've oh. often said things on the internet, and <laughs> it's escalated so quite. I've been in online arguments with like Pierce Morgan and uh, James Woods, and like a lot of people. Oh, um, that all sounds <clears> fine. <laughs> it's just a thing. Or Ben Shapiro. What is what's the name of Milo Yiannopoulos? All those people. Um, it always feels a bit surreal because. People very much project a lot onto you. Mm. And, you know, just like it's six tweets, you mm. know, like mm. I'm one person tweeting this thing. It's not like I'm the president of the US, you know, like when he tweets something th- that could start a world war, I'm just like a person. Mm. And yeah, I affect some things, but it's not like. <laughs> but what what's it like to wake up and, and be in the middle of that? It's like. Right, I whatever I had planned, I can't do now because I need to sort this out. It's, it's a lot of like pulling away, like just, go, okay. just like not Distance reading yourself. my, yeah. Yeah, not reading the replies. Mm. You know, you have to just make sure that you're 
just double check your address is safe and that you know you don't ha- yet you haven't tweeted like I will be at the blah blah venue on Friday. All of uh, that stuff. Yeah, and then like when you get offered gigs and stuff, you have to say I can do it, but you don't want to announce it because then they will call the venue and be like, you shouldn't hire her. She's a blah 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 blah. Say all these things. That's scary. Yeah, they're quite they're quite scary sometimes. So uh, emotionally, it's more just about uh, it's just uh, a lot of admin, a lot of like blocking admin, people yeah. and you know. Oh God, you know, I have to get close some accounts and comments and stuff. So I, mean, I guess to ask another question, uh, is it worth it? Not really. No, I yeah. mean, it's not worth it in terms of... I'm just, I just have no idea because <laughs> no, no one cares what I say. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know if it's worth... I mean, as often tweets where I've gone like, oh, I, my life wouldn't have been worse if I didn't tweet that. Sure, you know? like, yeah. I didn't need to say this. Mm. But also I don't really... Uh, some things I wouldn't tweet again, but mm. something like that, yeah, I'd probably yeah, tweet sure. that again because I think that's I, I think was right about that. It's, it's not like a and I think maybe I right. would have described yeah. it a bit better, use some more like statistics. Oh, we but... can always think about these things yeah. a bit. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. The amount of times I've written a tweet, I think, oh, this is really funny, and I start writing it, and halfway through, I think this isn't funny at all, yeah, and then yeah, I just delete yeah, yeah, yeah. it. And well, then... it's really healthy to do that. To yes, go. and I think something like that, like the things that have happened to me, has made me go, okay, this has to be. Bang phrased yeah. really well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to have really thought about this before I do it because because of the worth of things. You, when something blows up, it's screenshotted. You can never take it back. Yes, and it'll come back to haunt you forever. Mm. Like I've had four-year-old tweets brought up in interviews and stuff. It's just like really something that like what? Wow! Wow! Yeah. Um. So then you think, okay, I really need to be able to stand by this in four years. Mm. Okay. Or, you know. Yeah. So it does make you think. A bit more, which is good. Yeah, because I've meant most of the things I've said, but I've there are ways of saying them that won't make stupid people think that. Is is my future self going to be able to justify this? Okay, (laughs) I mean, I feel like uh, this is all very interesting. I think I I could ask you questions about. I'm saying is I'm excited for the island. (laughs) I know, (laughs) I know. I'm sorry that I've done this to you, Um, (laughs) but I feel pretty. The film, I think, very justified choice. And as you said, having to watch that on repeat for the rest of your life, the memories that's going to bring up. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> And here to share their Desert Island dicks with us today is activist, writer and co-host of Factable podcast, Natasha Devon, MBE. Hello. Who's going to be your first choice? Let's dive in. Well, <laughs> my first choice, I actually messaged you about him, didn't I? Because I wasn't sure whether for the format of this podcast, you know how on Desert Island discs, you just get the Bible mm-hmm. and it's just there because mm-hmm. they assume everyone wants it. I thought maybe this person might be the Desert Island dicks equivalent. Yeah. But he's, <laughs> well. just, he's just on the island. Yes. Um, my first choice is Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan. <laughs> I have personal beef with Piers Morgan. Oh, it's personal. It's personal, yeah. Mm, I've, I've even better met him on several occasions, and he does this thing. It's it's actually um, I used to do a lot of debating when I was at school. Okay, and there's this thing that you can do in debating, and it's called squirreling the motion. Oh, and what that no. means is. Um, so it, in debating, you're given sort of quite a nebulous motion. It might be something like um, this house believes in it. And then if you are first proposition, you have to define what it is. 
and then everybody has to debate according to your definition of the motion. But if you define it as um, children having basic human rights, you've squirreled the motion because there's no way that you can argue against that. Right. And Piers Morgan does that all the time. He takes something really multifaceted and nuanced and then oversimplifies it to the point where he just thinks, uh, he just uh, defines things as wanting to ban stuff. Right. So I can just imagine being on an island with him. It'd be like, I think we've got enough sticks on that fire oh so you want to ban sticks do you it's like it's like living in some kind of totalitarian state (laughs) (laughs) that's what he would be like he just takes everything to his extreme for entertainment value and everybody says oh he's a pantomime villain and he doesn't really believe what he says but the damage he does is real yes absolutely yeah i mean it's dangerous it's a dangerous way to go about your business right yeah well he legitimizes views and he misrepresents things like um the the main time that he and i fell out is um, I was doing a speech at the Girls' Schools Association annual conference and um, I was speaking for about an hour about mental health but for about 10 minutes I was talking about heteronormative assumption because um, when you look at mental health statistics LGBTQ people are significantly more at risk of poor mental health than other people and I was saying you know one of the ways that we can make LGBTQ people feel that sense of belonging which is really essential to mental health mm-hmm. is to not walk around assuming everyone's straight and you know making assumptions about their life and it also applies to gender so I said oh if I came into one of your schools and I was doing an assembly I wouldn't begin that assembly saying hello girls I would say hello everyone yes because that's a lot more inclusive yeah so that goes via the prism of Piers Morgan and becomes a column in the Daily Mail where I've said that teachers should be banned from saying boy or girl and no one's allowed to identify as a boy or girl. We all have to be non-binary. <laughs> How is he getting away with this? Exactly. And my fear with that is, you know, his platform on Good Morning Britain and the Daily Mail is so much bigger than mine mm. that for a couple of months afterwards, I was thinking if my name is mentioned in an office or in the pub, mm. they're going to be like, oh, that that's that girl that wants to ban <laughs> girls you know. uh, yeah, then it strikes genuine fear into you and your life yeah exactly so it's it's, it's dangerous it's hard it's harmful yeah and and i've lost count of the number of times i've i've spoken to sort of friends of friends who have gone well yeah you know he 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 does take it a bit far but he's right isn't he and it's kind of you know how we've all got that kind of inner bastard mm-hmm. and i was always taught that your first reaction to something is society's reaction and your second reaction is you Ah. so if you look at someone and you go what are they wearing but then your next reaction is oh come on it's not fair to judge someone on what they're wearing the first reaction is what you've been taught by society and the second is the real you but I think some people think that first reaction is somehow natural and inherent Mm. and it's that teeny tiny Piers Morgan or Katie Hopkins inside you (laughs) yeah it is (laughs) it really is that agrees yeah oh wow this is insightful. <laughs> I also had an encounter with his sister. <laughs> I'm working my way through the family. So I was, I was doing a, a talk, a parent talk at this very posh school. Mm. And I was talking about the, the incident with gender, um, trying to convey to these parents that, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to indoctrinate their children into thinking that they're all transgender. Mm. And um, I, I mentioned the Piers Morgan story. And afterwards, this woman comes up to me and she goes, I was just wondering, um, why did you refuse to go on Good Morning Britain and debate Piers Morgan over the gender thing? And I said, well, I just didn't really see what good would come of it. You know, he doesn't really allow people to speak. And Mm. it's Good Morning Britain is not the, the platform for a nuanced discussion. So she goes to me, so you haven't met him then? 
And I said, oh, yeah, I've met him on several occasions, just not on this particular occasion. And then she went, it's just that I'm his sister, you see. But then she just ran away. So I thought, what was that? Was that an what? apology? Was that a confrontation? I don't know. I still don't know. That is like... So, what, so she just wanted to, basically, she just wanted to tell you that she was his sister yeah. and then run off. And fair enough. I should consider, shouldn't I, that perhaps, yeah. you know, I mean, I've, I've taught Nigel Farage's children. So, yeah, I do have to be careful Did what you? I say. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Who are lovely. Are they? Yeah. I bet they are. They're children. Of course. How, how old were they at the time? Uh, 12 and 13. Okay. So potentially, you know, coming into a phase of their life that is quite difficult yeah, of course um but lovely children yeah yeah oh, so you, you never know who who's in the audience in front of, of you course. i learned that today or listening to a podcast <laughs> about, yeah. about mm. Mm, interesting <laughs> okay i love it i love it when someone has a personal story behind <laughs> their choice i also think that he's the type of person that whoever was on the island he would try and divide and conquer it's very important for him i think to feel like he's winning whatever winning looks like i wonder why yeah, I mean, I was thinking about the, the three choices that I've made, what they have in common, if anything. Mm. And I think it's that I don't understand what motivates them. And that really bothers me when I can't get to the bottom of someone. I understand that. Yeah, I think it's. It, it feel, I feel like they sort of, he sort of uh, he plays to the to the persona now. Mm. And it's like, does he or does he actually think these things or do, like does he think it's in his benefit to be uh, in the news as much as possible so says things controversial things to mm. to try and make sure that he's everywhere at any particular time I think it's probably the latter mm. but I can't fathom thinking that engagements and clicks and my salary were more important than saying and doing the right thing and also it's the type of people that you know it, everybody I respect and like has been blocked by Piers Morgan on Twitter <laughs> yeah. if you haven't get blocked yeah. then you can be part of the club I'm gonna give it but, a go after this <laughs> but you know if he ever takes you on publicly you get death threats you know I got rape threats from the people that follow him and he is legitimizing those types of people and he knows he is you know it's extremism so I don't understand I guess the motivation of somebody who could think that that was okay for a laugh i am so sorry that that happened to you oh it's not your fault no it's not my fault but it's just <laughs> it just shouldn't have happened to you um okay piers morgan goes on the island i'll put him <laughs> right on there not the first time and it won't be the last time piers morgan you are going to live on the island and here to share their desert island dicks with us today is journalist writer but you'll probably recognize his voice as podcaster on the top flight time machine sam delaney hello Sam, who's going to be your first choice? Okay, so my first choice is... There was a teacher at my school, and I'm going to call him Mr Kendall, which is very close to his actual name. Right. And he was a PE teacher, which is a cliche. I'm sure you, you must have had people named PE teachers before, yeah, yeah. right? No one likes PE teachers. They're often aggressive. Not all of them, but there's always one who's aggressive and overbearing and, mm. and is very bad for you and your self-esteem. And there's a couple of stories that I can illustrate, uh, yeah. you know, about Mr. Kendall. Yeah, and yeah. Now, he had a long-lasting effect on my psyche Wow! Okay. and cast a shadow over my time at school. Right. In the fifth year at my school, I went to a normal comprehensive school in southwest London, and it was fine. It was in, like, the, the mid to late 80s. And in the final year, about 1990, uh, in the fifth year, you were allowed as a privilege, because you were in the fifth year, to choose whatever PE you did. Great. Like, oh, you could choose from like a number of sports. So me and almost obviously chose football, right? 
and you could also wear whatever you wanted for PE within reason. Really? You didn't have to wear school PE kit. Yeah. If you were a fifth year, yeah. and what made it even better was PE was on a Friday afternoon. It was the last oh, lesson of the week. It was dreamland, mate. Nice. So you got to Friday afternoon, you could put on your own stuff. So you could wear club colours yeah. if you wanted. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And uh, it was great. But this was 1990, and it was the era of what people called Manchester. Yeah, So yeah. despite the fact that we lived in, like, a sort of fairly suburban part of southwest London, me and a few of my mates, quite a lot of people, teenagers at that time, went around wearing, dressing a bit like the Happy yeah, Mondays. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So bucket hat, Deodora. Bucket hat all the time. Yeah, yeah. Very bag- baggy was the word, right? And I turned up for PE because I sort of thought of it on a Friday as not just an opportunity to play football, but also as an opportunity to showcase my personal style. Nice, nice, yeah. So I wasn't thinking in practical terms. And I turned out and I remember really well what I was wearing. I had the kind of quite long bowl head haircut, right? And I wore a pair of basically like skateboarding shorts. I wasn't a skateboarder, Mm. never was, never, never have been, never will be. But they were skateboarding style shorts. They were to the knee. Yeah. And they I remember even the brand. They were a brand called Crush. And they had a little <laughs> logo on them. And I thought it was really That's cool. Great. And then I had a like a white granddad top, which was very sort of Manchester style. You know, it was like round neck with three buttons. Nice. And it was very baggy. It was like a couple of sizes too big. Yeah, yeah. And then for shoes, this was the real killer. Right, the shoes weren't fucking anything remotely <laughs> intended with football in designed with football in mind. Yeah. Right? They were a pair of Converse, but trainers, not Converse like we know today. Oh yeah, Converse used to make trainers that were like they were big trainers like Nike Airs. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. They, I don't know if they still do that, but they did then, and they were quite flashy. And I was really proud of them. I'd got them for my birthday, as a matter of fact. And I thought, fucking wearing those <laughs> because. And here's the key factor that uh, is that. We had a big old weather pitch at school, and on and it was two pitches side by side. And on one, we would be playing football, but I knew that on the other next to it, the girls would be playing netball. Nice. And it knew all of my girl mates and stuff. And of course, when you're 15, you fancy all of your girl mates. Absolutely. Like they're your mates. Oh, yeah. you're my mate, but you really want to get off with all of them, right? <laughs> yeah. And so they're all my mates, but I wanted them to see me in my best clothes. Right? Nice. These clothes, on, on reflection, were absurd, right? But at the time, I thought, fucking hell, I am the cock of the walk here. I am the king of the school. I have finally made it. I was like the wolf of Wall Street of my school, right? That's what I thought in my head. So then in the warm-up, we're waiting for the PE teacher to come out, and we're all out there just warming up. And I found myself, my mate Lawrence was in goal, and I was taking little shots at him, like you do just to, you know, warm up. And I found myself next to Alan Hendricks. Alan Hendricks was the best footballer in the school and also the hardest kid in the school. Okay. Those two things very often go hand in hand yeah, in most yeah. schools, right? Yeah, yeah. Very often overlaps those two roles. He was pretty scary. I'd obviously been at school in five years, but I wasn't good mates with him. But we were on nodding terms at nice. best. Okay. But I found myself warming up with him and we're taking shots and we're teeing each other up. So he's flicking them up to me and I'm having a volley and I'm flicking them back to him. And it's kind of mating. He's clapped a couple of my efforts and I'm thinking thinking, this day just gets better and better. <laughs> it was a spring afternoon, the sun was shining, all the girls were playing netball on the court next to me. I was giving them a little wave, and I'm basically mates with Alan Hendricks, right? Yeah. Who was a terrifying man. Alan Hendricks is the sort of bloke that when you're at school, when you're like literally in the first year, or what kids today would call year seven, yeah, yeah. 
you're in the changing room and he is basically a man, yeah, right? Yeah. You're like really weedy, you're very childlike. And Full he, chest hair, he just comes like out and he's like, got yeah. like biceps the size of softballs and a six pack. Yeah. And his voice is like that, <laughs> right? And you're like, anyway, so I finally, after five years, become mates and we're getting on like a fucking house on fire. And I get a bit cocky because I'm just thinking everything's falling into place in my life. And my mate Lawrence throws the ball out to me and it bounces. And I try, because Alan's applauded a couple of my shots, I thought, fuck this. I'm, I've got the mice touch. Literally everything I hit turns to gold. So I fucking smacked this ball on the half volley, thinking this is going to go top corner. Yeah. Which would have been out of order anyway, because I was just supposed to be warming up with Lawrence, not humiliating him. It went over the goal. And then it went over the fence, right, oh, that, that enclosed the five-a-side pitch and out of the school into the street, mm. across the road and bounced over into the allotment. So okay. it was fucking went yeah. miles, right? <laughs> is the way, yeah. And Alan Hendricks has gone. I mean, any illusion I had of us being mates immediately crumbled because he went, you fucking idiot, you, went, you fucking idiot, you kicked the ball over. I said, yeah, I know. And I looked around for another ball and I couldn't see one. And he went, go and get it. So I went, you're right, Okay. And I go to turn and walk off. And then Mr. Kendall comes out, right? Mm. And him and him and Alan Hendricks are obviously tight. You know, like in <laughs> yeah. a prison, the governor yeah. of the prison yeah. is always sort of has a, a sort of a weird, weird friendship, friendship yeah. with the top boy in the yeah, prison. Yeah. That's what Mr. Kendall and Alan Hendricks were like. They had an understanding. They respected each other as equals. Yeah, yeah. And I walk away and they both sort of say in unison, where the fuck are you going? I said, I'm going to get the ball. Because my intention was to leave the pitch, walk out of the school, walk around in the street, get the ball. Mm. They went, we haven't got time for that. Fucking climb over. Right? Oh, no. And I was like, seriously, and it was a high fence. I'd say it was 12 feet, something oh, that's like that. high, right? yeah. And I go, climb over. And he goes, yeah. And by this stage, all the other lads, including lots of them are like, mate, so we're all looking at me like, yeah, fucking climb over, Sam. We, we want to get the game started. Nah. You kick the ball. I don't know why no one could conjure another ball. But I've gone, all right, fine. I, I'm going to play it cool. I don't want to say in front of all of them, oh, I don't want to climb, climb over. over. It's really fence. high. Yeah, yeah. So I go, fine, all right, I'll climb over. So I climb up the fence quite quick. I was quite pleased because I was under a lot of pressure. Everyone's asking, I fucking hurry up like that. Yeah. Of pressure. I get to the top. I swing one leg over, and because he's really baggy, oh, no. tracksuit-y kind of skateboarder shorts, right, they get hooked onto a bit of wire. It was a wire fence. They get hooked quite badly onto the wire. Yeah. So I can't move my leg. I have, to un- I have to basically pull the shorts off this wire, and they've come hooked off. But to do that, I need both hands. Shit. I can't do it one-handed. Yeah. And if I take two hands off, I wobble them fall, fall yeah. From, yeah. A, from a great height. Yeah. But no one can see what the problem is because the hook has happened. It's, you know, it's, it's a little hook. They're down on the bottom. Yeah, they yeah. can't see it. And they're going, what are you doing? And I'm just sitting straddling the top of this fence really high up. What the fuck are you doing? I said, I'm stuck. What do you mean you're stuck? And Mr. Kendall's going, really humiliate me in front of everyone. Or by this stage, all the lads. So there's like oh, 15 no. lads standing around all looking up going, fuck's sake, Sam. And Mr. Kendall, rather than help me out, I said, sir, I'm stuck. My shorts have got caught. Can you come up and help me? <laughs> He went, your shorts got caught. Well, that serves you bloody right, doesn't it? But wearing those stupid shorts to PE, they're completely inappropriate. You look like a Wally. He went, and the trainers are inappropriate as well, which is why you probably belted it out in the first place. This is all your fault. You can stay up there. We're getting the game started. He goes to another kid, go and get another ball from the cupboard, which he could have done in the first place. Someone runs off, gets the ball. I'm not joking. I'm sat on the top of a fence, right? For the whole hour as no. they're playing the game, watching from behind the goal, thinking, how will I ever get down? But what makes it worse is 
all the girls are playing netball. No. And they eventually spot me because I'm like a prized turkey, right, <laughs> yeah. up on the top of the fence in this outfit. And they're stopping and going, Sam, Sam, what are you doing? What are you doing out there? And I'm going, oh, all right, just watching the game. <laughs> and they're going, why are you watching it right now? I said, good view up here. Why aren't you playing? Injured. I'm trying to say that I was injured, so I decided to change into my kit and then climb up a massive fence to watch my mates play football. At the end of the game, they all go, and I'm going to Mr. Kendall, can you help me down now? And he just laughed, shook his head and went in. And then they all went in. I I was pissed off with everyone, to be honest. I mean, take them all to the dickhead island because even my mates were like, nah, don't. It was almost like I'd become toxic. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They didn't want to come near me. They didn't want to know. And then I got one mate, and he he was a good mate, and he still is a mate, and he he came back. He came back for me. It's like a war story. Nice, yeah. He'd gone in the change room, and then when he came out, shouted and changed. I was then, like, literally the sun was setting. And I was thinking, well, what happens? I kept once in a while letting go to try and hurt myself, but then immediately grabbing on again. Oh, fucking hell, I'm going down. Right? And I just didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, in the end, he came back like a hero. Joe, nice. Joe Challenge. He comes back, climbs up the fence and unhooks me. And he went... And I went, I'm sorry, mate. And he just shrugged like, fucking hell, mate. I mean, <laughs> it's the most know, embarrassing I, thing I've ever I, seen. I, I, hope you, I hope you understand that I had to come back and do this when everyone else had gone. <laughs> I didn't want to be seen near you. So, oh anyway, my god. And then, and then, I don't know if we've got time for another because I mean, Mr. Kendall, there was various things like that. I don't think he ever particularly liked me. I wasn't unsporty, but I wasn't particularly sporty. And a lot, of, he was the sort of PE teacher who only liked you yeah. if you were one of the 11 right, best yeah, players yeah, in yeah. school. The other most embarrassing incident that happened to me at school, he was also complicit in, which was, I used to also really like doing drama mm. and I really looked forward to it. And one week I turned out and obviously the drama teacher was really nice and a laugh and yeah, I quite yeah. fancied her. Yeah. Um, but one week I turned out and she was ill, so they'd put Mr. Kendall in charge. Oh, of no. He was like the least appropriate Shit. bloke to be yeah. in charge of drama. He's like, drama? What's this? Mucking about? Yeah. Pretending to be people you're not? It's bloody nonsense, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh. So I turned out and I was absolutely gutted. But what made it worse was I had a really bad stomach and I'd felt it brewing all day. And I know what the reason was. I can still remember the meal now. The night before, my mum had made me curried mints. I mean, it's disgusting. She, I think she, we didn't have much in and she just got some mints and thought, I'll just put curry spices in it. It was disgusting. Yeah. And it had a bad effect on me. I don't know whether the mints was bad or something. Oh, but I remember sitting in this lesson and we were sitting and he was just making us read from a play rather than actually do any like drama and I was like fucking hell and I suddenly thought oh no oh no I'm in trouble you know when your stomach goes mm. it makes a really weird noise and you're like shit I think I could be in yeah, trouble you got to go yeah and of course I don't know what it was like at your school but I know that a lot of people said, especially back in those days schools were pretty derelict and yeah. everyone pretty much had a rule that you never did a shit at school no ever, yeah ever. no 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 for various reasons yeah but nasty just, in there yeah you would you'd probably sh- rather shit yeah. your pants yeah. than shit at school <laughs> yeah so I've stuck my hand up and said so I've got to go to the toilet and he just didn't like me so he's just being an idiot going well you can wait it's only 20 minutes to the end of the lesson I said no I've got to go now and he goes excuse me you don't get that sounded like an instruction. No, so you sit where you are. So I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to shit myself in a drama lesson. And again, there's always the issue of all the girls in there in your drama lesson. That was another thing. Half the reason being into drama was because it was an opportunity to flirt yeah, with girls. Yeah, right? yeah. And these girls who I enjoy flirting with, I thought they're going to see me shit my pants any second. <laughs> so I just stood up and I and I walked out. We were in a hall and I just walked out. And he went. Where do you think you are going? And I went, sorry, and kept walking. I went, 
get back here now. I went, sorry. And I kept walking. I thought, he might chase me and pull me back and then things will get really messy. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't. Oh. I quickened my pace and got out. I walked all the way down. I walked out of the school, mm. um, which broke various rules and regulations. I walked down the road because what I thought was at the bottom of the road on the high street, there was a Pizza Express. No. In the yeah. And it was really like, it was a smart place. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. I'm going to shoot it in there. there. And a Pizza Express. So I'm walking down the street. And my mate William Gallagher uh, has followed me. Bless him, right? He's come out and he's chased me because he's thought he's in trouble. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, what's going on? What's going on? Mr. Kendall's going mad. I said, look, I'm going to level with you. I think I'm going <laughs> to shit myself. And that's why I'm walking like this. I, I'm, gonna, I'm heading for Pizza Express. You can help me out. When we go in, sit at a table and order a Coke. <laughs> Nice. Right? Nice. And then say, your mate will be back in a minute. That's right? great. Yeah. I said, that's my cover. Perfect. He goes, all right, I'll do it. So we get into the Pizza Express. He sits down as instructed. I just accelerate into the toilets. And then, I mean, I couldn't believe I'd made it. You have the excitement and the anticipation and the stress and the anxiety. Mm. And it all comes together at once. And it's that fatal thing where when you make it through the door of the toilet, mm. you relax. And that's the fatal thing. Don't relax until you are in position. I relaxed, and as my trousers were coming halfway down, walking towards the cubicle, it exploded everywhere. No! Over the floor, over my trousers, everywhere. The seat, it was like a fucking massacre, right? It was a massacre. And and I had to spend ages in there trying to cover it sort all up. It out. There was not enough toilet roll in all three cubicles to sort out what I had done. And in the end, I thought, someone's going to come in here and find me. But there was shit all on my trousers and everything. So I just did one. I, wa- I walked out. I tied my jacket around my waist because there was I hadn't shat my pants, but there was shit all down my trousers. And I went to William Gallagher. Pay for the Coke. We're going. Right. <laughs> So he goes, all right, and he just, like, chucks some money on the table, comes out after me, and he can see what's happened. He's going, I'm going back to school. More or less, like, mate, I'm out. I'm not, I can't I've come do far, anymore. I've done everything yeah, yeah, I can yeah. for you. By this stage, it's the lunch hour of school, oh, and in, no. in lunch hour, all the kids were allowed down to the high street. I come out. <laughs> it's lunchtime. I look to my right, and I hear someone, I hear a girl's voice say, Sam, and coming towards me are two girls. One is my ex-girlfriend. The other one... <laughs> is my future girlfriend and a girl I had a crush on. And they're waving to me in the distance and they're sufficiently far away to not be able to smell the shit or see the shit. <laughs> and they're saying, wait for us, right? Meanwhile, I look behind me and I see the staff of Pizza Express hurriedly go into the bathroom because they know something's up. <laughs> no, they yeah. see two school kids come in, one goes to the toilet for 10 and minutes then leg it and out. then just yeah, fuck off. Yeah. So I'm thinking, they're going to come for me any second. And meanwhile, these girls are coming towards me. A 33 bus pulled up inside, uh, uh, up in front of me. I just fucking jumped on it, got a ticket, and went home. Did you? And the girls yeah. were like, what? And as the bus pulled away, I also saw the Pizza Express stuff come out of the toilet looking disgusted and outraged. And it felt great. It felt like a prison break. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I was just disappearing down the street. And I went home, even though it's halfway through a school day, and I called my mum at work. I went, mum, I've come home, uh, and I didn't ask to, so you're going to have to tell, tell the school and make something up, call them up and make something up. She went, all right, I will. Just out of interest, why did you go home? And I went, because I shat myself. <laughs> and she just went, fair enough, see you later. <laughs> <laughs>
And that was bloody Mr. Kendall. <laughs> mental. Because if he hadn't that been such a so dickhead, good. he hadn't been such a bastard, oh, man. I would have made it there in better time. You would have, yeah. So there's two big, significant humiliations in my life, mm. and I feel that he was complicit in both of them. Oh, my and God, yeah. And he would not be a nice person to be on a desert island. Yeah, he definitely would He was a formative dick in I, my life. I'm so glad he got to tell that second story. <laughs> Jesus, that's like something out of a film. That's yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. 